Hello and thank you for listening to episode 500 of 60MW. I'm Dave and this is another of our interview shows. And I'm sure you'll allow me just a few minutes before we get to the interview just to reflect on reaching 500 episodes. I did have something a little bit different planned for this episode involving live streaming and quite a bit more. But due to scheduling reasons and timetabling everything, uh, didn't have time to get that show out in time. Uh, I guess I should know after 11 years of podcasting that everything doesn't always go as planned. Many times over the years, we've had some hiccups and different things have happened. Uh, but the show that I had got planned, all being well, will be a future one coming out. So watch out for that one. But then a strange twist of fate, it's worked out that episode 500 carries on how 60MW began, or as it was called back then, 60 Minutes With. And that was just me doing an interview show. Long-time listeners, you might remember the days of 80s Picture House with me and Tom, who now, of course, is my Decade of Decadence co-host. And I used to love doing the interview shows with people from the 80s. And the reason I started this podcast is I love doing the interviews so much and wanted to not limit myself just to talking to people from the 80s that I started this. And episode one was myself talking to Carl Dupree. And on it has continued. This is actually, it's episode 500. It is also the 155th interview show. So a fair proportion of the shows are carrying on how it all started. But it has evolved greatly over the years. Many more people have joined many more format shows we put out now. Some have lasted quite a while. Some have been here from the beginning. Some we've tried and dropped. Some you may think have disappeared, but may return quite soon. There, I shall tease you in this episode with uh, some old shows that may be coming back. Now, I know that not everybody listens to every show that we put out. For quite a while now, I've referred to 60MW as an audio buffet, which I think is a fair explanation of it. And you can just pick and choose whatever you fancy to put into your ears, be it these interview shows or the entertainment shows or the video game shows or the music shows, the 80s shows. We've got lots and lots to choose from. And of course, there's lots to choose from on the website as well. And a big thank you to Michael Oglesby, who keeps everything ticking over fine. And he's the one that I go running to should anything go wrong and I need help whenever I'm updating the site with news and reviews and podcasts, etc. I'd also like to thank every member of the 6AMW team, both past and present, who, and hopefully you all know this, we all do it in our own time, at our own cost. And it is quite time-consuming. But thankfully, the team that we've got together at 60MW, everybody loves what they're doing. And hopefully that comes across in the shows too. And I would finally like to thank you, dear listener, for taking the time to listen to this show. Maybe this is your first show. Maybe you've been with us since episode one. And no matter what shows you listen to, like I said, the audio buffet, you pick and choose what you want. And I know, I know there's some people out there that have listened to every single one of you. But no matter how many shows you've listened to, if you've taken the time to listen to any of them, thank you so, so much. If you would like to celebrate us reaching episode 500, there's a couple of good ways that you can do that. You can share our shows on social media, like on your Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is always a really good way of promoting podcasts, especially indie podcasts like ourselves, where we don't get the media coverage 
we're not on BBC Sounds, we're not or anything like that. We don't have big celebrity hosts. We have celebrity guests on the interview shows, but indie podcasts are finding it increasingly difficult to get promoted anywhere, thanks to all celebrities and big media companies taking up all of the advertising. So please share our shows and tell your friends about us. And one other thing that you can do, if you've got a few minutes to celebrate again, 500 episodes, leave us a review somewhere. However you listen to us, be that on iTunes or Spotify or anything, even your podcast player. I use Podcast Addict. I've been uh, singing the praises of that for ages. Just leave us a review. And if you do leave us a review, send me a tweet or an email and let me know so I don't miss out on it. Anyway, let's move on. That's enough of the backslapping for now. Uh, let's move on to the actual interview, which is me chatting with Karen Robson all about Picnic at Hanging Rock, which she plays a huge part in. Her character is very important to the story. I'm not going to give it away because if you haven't watched the film, you should buy it. And the best way you can buy it, because on May the 1st, Second Sight Films are releasing a limited edition 4K UHD and Blu-ray of Picnic at Hanging Rock. And Second Sight Films, I've reviewed many of their releases on the website, and you are guaranteed not only amazing picture and sound, the packaging, the extras that they do are absolutely superb. So get that order in. It's a film well worth watching. You can have a read of the review on our website. Tina did the review for that. So as always, sit back, relax and get comfortable as I spend some time chatting with Karen Robson. Hello, Dave. Hiya, Karen. How are you? Very good. He's having a busy day with all these interviews, I should imagine. Yes, well, I'm here in Los Angeles, so it's early here, so I can do it all before I go to work. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably the best way to do it. <laughs> what's it. What's it like for you? You know, we're sat here in 2023 and there's people like myself who are so excited mm. to have a chat with you about this film. All You know, it's 50th anniversary in a couple of years. It's it's amazing. Uh, incredible, isn't it? It yes. is. I was, well, you know, it's very easy to work out how old I am because I was 17 <laughs> when I shot the film. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's just like things happen to you in life. And, you know, I was really fortunate, lucky to, you know, be chosen to be in the film, to be in the film. The experience of making the mm -hmm. film was absolutely wonderful. And then the success the film had, I mean, it was immediately successful when it came out in many ways. But I think the thing that's most interesting about it is it's had this kind of cult status mm -hmm. where it's just continued to be a film that people love and um and you know and new generations have discovered yeah. it in a way and um so i i think it i don't know what a cult film is exactly but i think it qualifies <laughs> and and it also has um it was one of those first films i don't really know i haven't sort of studied how it happened but that actually got distributed in other countries. It wasn't just in Australia and England, you know, mm -hmm. because it, it um, I mean, years later, when I started working as an entertainment lawyer in New York, we represented the Japanese company Pioneer. And Pioneer at that time had <clears throat> a laser disc company, dating yes. myself, yeah. the early <laughs> thing, right? I had one, yeah. And, <laughs> yes. And so the head of the company, when he found out I was in Picnic at Hanging Rock, he, he was so excited. He sent me, I don't know if I still have it, 
you know, collector's edition laser disc oh, wow. in Japanese. <laughs> but of course, of course, the Japanese would love it because it had schoolgirls in it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's a given then, isn't it? And the, ja the Japanese did some of the best laser disc releases as well. So, yeah, hopefully you've mm. still got it somewhere. That would be good. It's probably a collector's oh, item. I don't know now. about that. <laughs> Probably not, but still. I, it's in my mind. That's what's important. It is. It is. Well, in my mind as well, because I first watched uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. It was back in 1978. It was like three years after it had come out. And I was 13, and it mm. was in a film club at school. And we'd go oh, once wow. once a month, and we'd walk. It was like a couple of mile walk to school, and we never knew what film was going to show. And I was already a cinephile by then because my mm, dad had taken me. At 13? Yeah, I blame my dad. He took me two nights running to see Jaws when it opened, when I was probably too young to watch it. But he took me because he wanted to watch it. And then I was hooked on cinema. But the, uh -huh. I remember the film, there were some really pivotal films in this film club uh, because there was, they showed Rocky. Uh, there mm. was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, oh. Five Easy Pieces, and of course, wow. Picnic at Hanging Rock as well was was very one of them. different. <laughs> really, really different. And I remember coming out of Picnic at Hanging Rock thinking, "Was all that a dream?" Because it's very you know, with the way that Peter Weir filmed it. It's got that very dreamy mm. atmosphere to it, and that mm. feeling stayed with me as I came out of the school after watching it. What was it like on mm. set and filming and all the way through the production? Well, it was really enjoyable and fun. And, you know, I had just left high school and, um, you know, graduated from high school and suddenly I was on a film set. I mean, I never imagined. And um, and it was, it, you know, I had, I really loved the Victorian era in Australia. Mm -hmm. I'd read a lot of books about that era and stuff. So dressing up and wearing corsets and all of that was just like super fun. <laughs> <laughs> and um and and you know I made friends with a number of the other girls and it was incredibly enjoyable. But it was, I mean, there was um, and maybe it was Peter created this atmosphere. You know, when we we're on the rock, various things. It was a kind of weird feeling, like mm. there was something mysterious, and the relationships between the girls and uh, you know that kind of um, thing. But, you know, when you see the film, it's so much more in the film. I think when he added the music to it, you know, yeah. how he discovered the panpipe thing, you know, that's so much a part of it. And um, I mentioned before when I was doing an interview that I saw the film when I moved to New York. Um, it was shown, there was a restoration, not this restoration, mm -hmm. earlier restoration. It was shown there at Film Forum. And I spoke about it and I saw the film for the first time since I was 17 and I was probably about 30 then. So it was about 13 years later and I was going, Oh my God, the film is so um, atmospheric and mm -hmm. has this kind of hothouse feeling like, Oh my God, are you, yeah. like, what is going <laughs> yeah. on? And, and, you know, it's much more, it stirred the emotions much more than I remember. It's not a cool film at all. It's I mean, not. cold. Yeah, well, no. yeah, definitely. In in well, in all sorts of ways. You mentioned about as yeah. well how you love dressing up, and you know yeah. the corsets and so on. Was were you ever uncomfortable at any point? Because I was thinking about watching all of you, and you know, obviously the 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 dresses that you're wearing and the corsets and everything, mm. and and that heat. Uh, I mean, what was mm. the temperature like? Because I know Australia doesn't really get cold, cold like not like here in Wales mm. at least. But was it? Was, oh, you're in Wales. Where I'm in, are you in? I'm in North Wales. We're about ten miles south of Wrexham. Oh, I have to write that down. 
because my husband is a filmmaker and he is uh, he went to film school in London and he made his thesis film in Wales in a mining village. Oh, and he's is, going, yes. This and, is a uh, mining village, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. His was um, more in the south, above Carter. I can't remember what it's called. Mm. And he's going to, he and my daughter, who's a DP, they're going back to Wales in the, um, in the summer to shoot a documentary about the making of that film. The boy uh -huh. who was in the film is still lives in the same village and about the history. Wow. Anyway, I'm, I'm being <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so um, uh, the it was hot because it was February. It was still summer. And uh, it wasn't a heat wave, but it was hot. I mean, the dresses were quite light. It was the corsets that were the problem. Mm -hmm. And I do remember we had to be unlaced to eat lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then get all tied back up again after, yeah, after lunch yeah and i don't even think to be honest i don't think those corsets were anywhere near as restrictive as the ones that they wore actually wore. yeah i think they laced them even tighter oh <laughs> is there any particular <laughs> memory when you know when you look back during the production is there mm -hmm. any one that always flashes into your mind immediately well, the funny, funnily enough, I feel responsible for the, um, in a way, for something that's, I think, wonderful. You mentioned it, but my, it's like a dream. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Miranda says, all that we see and seem is but a dream, a dream within a dream. And that is an Edgar Allan Poe line, mm -hmm. and um, it's from a poem. And so... Um, one evening, a bunch of us with Peter Weir, um, a few of us went to Martindale Hall, which was the building that was the, played the school yes. in the film, yeah, which was, um, uh, you know, built by an Englishman. And uh, we were just like looking around and in, in rooms that weren't used for mm -hmm. the filming and so on. And um, there was a piano and there was a piano stool. And I, of course, was like, very curious. I was rifling through the piano stool, <laughs> and I found the sheet music for that poem set to music. Uh -huh. And I showed uh -huh. Peter and thing, and and they just loved it. And then it ended up in the film. So I thought, wow. <laughs> 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 and it just summarized the film. So I'm oh, not does. summarized it. Oh, yeah. yeah, it is. It, it gives that real feel for it, def most definitely. Mm. And mm. and again, going going back. Going back to then as well, watching it, like you said, with the music, the visuals of it, when mm. it all comes together, and you mentioned about you hadn't seen mm. it for so long, you went between 17 mm. and now. How often have you watched mm. it in the in the years previous? And Because this, this new 4K release not, just looks spectacular. Yeah, not very often, but I'm looking forward to receiving my box set and watching it again. And um, But I... It's sort of like a thing like, oh, I can't watch that. You know, I uh, <laughs> I mean, I, not because I'm embarrassed or anything particularly, but it's sort of a very magical part of my life. Yeah. And I almost like I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> I, I prefer to think about it in my head because I was really struck when I did see it again, how different it was mm. from what I'd seen it before. But it's the difference between being 17 and not understanding anything much about yeah. What yeah. the film business is, or whatever, and um, and then and um, but I I do look forward um to seeing it again, 
I mean, the only thing that I don't think I'll enjoy is because my favorite scene of me is cut out of the director's cut, <laughs> <laughs> which is the scene, the scenes on the boat with um, the young man when he, I, you know, and, and, but to, to his credit, Peter wrote me a lovely letter saying when he made the director's cut, you know, I'd always loved that scene, but it just didn't flow with the rest of the film, and right. I didn't cut it out because you were bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this is like writing this to a you know a woman in New York who's a partner in a law firm. It just shows what a kind <laughs> person he was. Oh, it does definitely. And your character, yeah. you know, the character of Irma is such an important character in the film mm. as well. You know, plays a pivotal role in it. What was it like for yeah. you going into it knowing? how important that character of Irma is. Did you feel any pressure because of that? Well, oh, my pressure was just that I'd never been in a film before. <laughs> so I think that that was over, overwhelmed anything about how important the character. I liked, I mean, I was cast because um, Martin Sharp, who was an artist who was advising the director, met me. And he thought I was like the character. So it was sort of more that I had the spirit of the character. Yeah. And um, so in a way, I was being asked to be myself while playing another character, obviously. And so, and just to be sort of naturalistic and more not to act, act. You yeah. Know? And so, so I thought I could do it. I was a little nervous from time to time, especially when I had bigger scenes and mm -hmm. wasn't. The, for me, the most fun scenes were when I was just like one of the girls, you know, running around the house <laughs> yeah. or getting and going to the picnic and <laughs> at the picnic grounds and those things. Or I, I did love the scenes like when we're on the rock and going up and down the rock and, mm. you know, the, that that stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, Karen, I could talk to you for ages, but I know you're really busy. <laughs> so th thank you for your time. Uh, I will say, if you do want any more mining stories, there's plenty of them up here in North Wales. Even in the village that I'm in now, there are lots of them. So you'd be welcome right. anytime. What's it, what's it? Yeah. Well, thanks. I'll. 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 Um, if we. I don't know that I will be part of this grand enterprise, but it is uh, a place I've always wanted to visit. So maybe I'll get to come along while they go to the. Actually, hold on, Ramin. Ramin. He's here, my husband. I'm going to ask him what the name of the village oh, is. Ramin. Oh, no, I can't find him. Anyway, what's your village called? It's called Chirk. C-H-I-R-K. C-H-I-R-K. Chirk, yeah. Chirk. Yeah. Ramin. Oh, I'm talking to this journalist, and he's from Wales in a little town. What's your town called? Aberdeer and Nertatisville and Aberdeer. Murtha Tidville. Murtha Tidville, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know that one? Yeah, I okay. do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that one. Right, you right. know that one as well, Def. Oh, you know that one too. <laughs> My geography's terrible. <laughs> All right. Okay, very good. Oh, Thank yeah. Bye. Thanks, Thanks, Karen. Dave. Thanks, Dad. Thank Thanks again. We'll do. Care. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. And the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another interview show. Once again, let me remind you of the Second Sight Films release of Picnic at Hanging Rock. It's coming out on May the 1st. It is a great, great transfer that they've done. They always put incredible work into their releases, and this is yet another one that looks great in anybody's collection. And before we finish, again, thank you to all of the 60MW team, and a huge, huge thank you to you for listening to us. 
It means a lot. And the feedback that we get from you is much appreciated every time as well. So get yourselves ready because we're not done yet. We've got at least another 500 episodes in us before we wind everything up. So again, please tell your friends about us, share us on your social media, leave us a review, and we'll be back again with another show before too long.